Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Do you have a son or daughter who is on the spectrum and who is having problems with executive functioning? Or do they have ADHD and have the same issues of executive functioning? Well, my next guest, Chris Fugelson, is an executive functioning coach, and we talk about all the things dealing with ADHD and, and ASD and executive functioning and how he deals with his clients. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll see you on the other side. See you there. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside the Asperger Studios. Today, I'm joined with Chris Ferguson and my co-host, Ashley Simpkins, who is also an ASD specialist herself. Welcome to the show, everybody. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. You know, Chris, I always like to start on my show by saying, so tell me about yourself. So why don't you give us a little bit of info about yourself and we'll get going from there. Sure. My name is Chris Fugelsang. I'm uh, an executive function coach currently in New York, based out of New York City, but I serve students from all over the country, sometimes internationally as well. Um, <clears throat> my background is in special education. I've been a teacher for about 18 years now. I've taught in public, private, international schools. Um, most recently, um, I was in, uh, I've been, I was teaching in Queens, New York, but before that I had taught in public schools in Brooklyn then I went overseas to teach in Japan for four years, and then I came back, did a little private school stint before the pandemic, um, and then I switched over to full-time executive function coaching. All right. Now, let me ask, from your travels, what did you notice about um, disabilities in teaching between, like, Japan and from where where and everywhere else did you is japan very much more focused on this and helping those who have a disability um well i can't speak for the country as a whole because the school that i was in is was an american school so um <clears throat> most of the students were on the american system and kind of went under similar uh protocols that we follow here in the states for special education but i would say that Probably in some ways they have pretty decent services for students, but in other ways it's maybe not as it's a little bit overlooked. I would say, um, generally speaking, for the country of Japan, from what I've heard and from a little bit of my experience. Um, <clears throat> but in the school itself, uh, it, I, I think I can compare more like the private sector to the public school system, right? So it's like in the private school, there's uh, the th they don't have to follow as many like legal laws around special education. Um, and so therefore there's sometimes less services and more expectation on the students to kind of fill in the, or the families and the students to fill in, fill in the mm -hmm. gaps at home. But um, surprisingly at the school that I was at, uh, there was quite a few pretty good resources and they were moving, heading in the right direction in terms of providing more supports for students. Who, um, so and sometimes in these private schools, it's kind of like sink or swim. So if you can't, if you, you, and they can't provide a lot of these resources or they don't, they've gotten a lot better in recent years, but um, 
sometimes they don't they don't have as many resources. So if you're an outside the box learner, it's sometimes more difficult for you to maybe you know keep up with the heavy workload or um, get some services you might need. So a lot of times that has to come outside from the families and they families have to subsidize that on their own. Yeah, I get kind of the outside of the box thinking. I mean, a lot of parents need to do that when they realize their child is on the spectrum of one um, one way or another, because right. you just can't think the same way. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I think that, um, you know, uh, even, even though many, many people on the spectrum or with ADHD sometimes have like an exceptional uh, intellect and can can hack it with the work. Um, that's I think that's where a lot of times the executive function side of things can hold them back because they might not have the organization, planning, time management, attention and focus skills that come a lot more naturally to a, a neurotypical student, right? Yeah. Ashley, you got anything you want to ask them? Yeah, I was really curious if you found any medications, if any, to be effective for executive functioning. Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I often don't get too involved with like the specifics on the medications in my in my field, but I do encourage, I do help my students like get on a plan to be taking their meds regularly and to be um, sticking to a plan because I think if they are if they are taking the medication route. Um, which many do that, like sometimes the problem that hap that comes up is that they don't take their med medication regularly or they don't follow through on the plan for stay staying up to date with it. So I think I think that's that's a question to be asked of their doctors of which mm -hmm. medications work the best. But I am more common to in, when, where I come into play is more of the Hey, let's get. A, are you taking your meds? Are are they working? How are you feeling with them? And when 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 are, when is the best time for you to be taking this medication? I mean, I don't I don't I don't give them guidance in that area, but I follow whatever the doctors prescribe and try to help them keep to that schedule. Sounds really good. You know, Chris, how can a this is an important question? How can a parent tell if their child has poor executive functioning? That's a great question. I think I think there's some really good, really obvious signs and some maybe not so obvious signs. But I would say usually around the time of transition from elementary to middle school, you can definitely see signs earlier. But when the work starts getting a little more complicated and mm -hmm. work starts getting a little bit more independent um, uh, and uh, higher level kinds of thinking. And um, I think I think students will start to display habits or maybe some not so great habits of missed assignments. If you start seeing, I mean, this is not always the case that it, there's a learning disability associated or executive function delays associated with it. But, um, you know, late assignments, lower test scores, um, trouble getting ready for school in the morning and getting mm -hmm. out, of, out of the house, um, managing multiple things at once without parent intervention, taking maybe taking poor notes at school, having poor study habits. So none of these, not, no one of these things is, an, is a direct indication, but I think if there are 
if parents are noticing multiple of these things over a consistent period of time, then they, they might want to start raising some questions um, and finding out some more information. Now, do you help your clients with like note taking, how to take better notes and how to prep yourself for like test taking? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big part of what I do. Um, study skills. A lot of my students, like they, like I said, they're really bright and sometimes exceptionally so. And, but they don't, they often don't think that they need to take notes. They think they can remember or they think they can, um, uh, just write a few, write, write down a few, jot down a few notes. Sometimes students have difficulty writing or their handwriting is off or like they can't write, write with pen and paper. So um, there might need to be an accommodation that needs to put it, be put in place where they can use their computer to take notes. Um, additionally, I do teach skills on how to study and more effective ways of studying. Um, and I, of, I often say to parents uh, and to my students directly, um, you know, you have like, sometimes it's good to think of school almost as a game and you have to like, if you, you can't play the game, if you don't know the rules, so you got to know the rules first, then we can start to bend the rules, make them fit your learning mm -hmm. style, incorporate your, your, your unique techniques. So I provide lots of tools and strategies, but I don't force my students to use them. I say they have to find the strategy, the tools and tips and strategies that work for them. So I know what works for a lot of people, but it might not necessarily work for everybody. So I might give some note-taking tips and we might practice note-taking um, by listening to a, a, a lesson or a lecture and, 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 and mapping out some, some skills that they might not have thought of before. And that they haven't used and then we practice them. The next step would be um, trying to upkeep them and hold some accountability around practicing these skills. That is very smart of you with accountability because I'm pretty sure there are a lot of parents who don't use the accountability for their children and their children wind up slacking and then they mm -hmm. wind up being becoming behind in their homework. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, I think parents, uh, parents mean, mean very well for their children obviously right they want what's best for them so they they try to hold accountability but in some ways it can fray the relationship or it can maybe you know interfere with how a parent wants to interact with their child they don't want to be the enforcer all the time and having to um, make sure that everything is being followed to the t right so um i would say um you know, that's, that's where I step in with the accountability. And that's mm -hmm. where like a lot of parents are like, I've tried everything. I've tried to hold them accountable, but it just doesn't, it doesn't work for me. And we're fighting all the time or we're arguing and it's, no. it's turns into a no, very difficult situation. Yeah. Chris, I wonder, you know, I treat um, adults with Asperger's and autism yeah. and I encounter the exact same thing. <laughs> I have a lot of parents that come to me, even though their children are 18 or over and the parents really, really want, you know, all that help that they need. But the problem is that they won't stay accountable. Yeah. for it. E even the clients themselves, you know, they they want the change, they want to move forward in life, but they don't want to actually put in the work. And that poses a huge problem to the whole process. Absolutely. And I think there's a I think there's a fine line actually between <clears throat> you know, wanting that accountability and 
and implementing it and like having someone else implement it, but also, um, you know, like being able to do, do, do the wanting to do the work independently and not having to have to, especially the older students, not having to answer to somebody because they think they're, you know, they're ready to handle this on their own and they're getting to be adults and they've got their own coping mechanisms or ways of figuring things out. So, um, uh, the accountability is, is, is definitely a huge portion of what I do. And I, I always tell my students, like, it, accountability is different than like, you know, like the intent, the, the end result of accountability is not like, okay, you didn't do this. Now you should feel bad. And like, you should feel guilt and shame over not doing this. Like I always tell them, it's not about that. It's about, yeah. okay, how do we hit the reset button, mm -hmm. start over, try again, and use a different technique if that one's not working for you. So that's exactly. my approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very similar to mine. I use the transformative process. So we take anything that's looked at as a weakness and we turn it into essentially a superpower. Oh, that's great. Yeah. There's always, we always have to look at the positive side of it. You know, we can't be so pessimistic about it. We have to be really positive and you know that helps us move in the right direction exactly and i always i mean there's a big there's a big um uh phrase i would i guess that's the best way to describe it of uh, like uh you know no zero days i tell my students a lot of times it goes around in the on, on on some communities on reddit and other other uh adhd communities and like as long as we're making forward progress baby steps, we're going to see growth. And, uh, and, and, and that's what we're aiming for a lot of times. Sometimes you see some rapid growth and like you mm -hmm. see some big major steps in certain areas, but typically with this population of students, it's, you know, it, it, it's a longer and a little bit slower process, but we have to celebrate the mile, the, the baby steps as milestones. Yeah. Now, Chris, how important is it for a parent to get an IEP for their child? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's, it depends on the particular situation and the severity of the issue and how much I, I, I tell my I tell my family is that, you know, what I'm really doing is teaching like we're using school as the platform here. Right. But what mm -hmm. I'm really teaching are life skills. And I'm sure same thing for you, Ashley. Um, yeah. what you do and what we're what we're do, what we're trying to do is get students to be self-aware of their own needs and what mm. they can and can't do and then try to make make a make their own plan for kind of improving now do they need an IEP I think I think it depends on how much it's interfering with their ability to do well in school I have a lot of students who do well in school because, but they, they're doing well because they have those accommodations in place. So um, I think, do I think some, some students can get by without the IEP? Sure. I think they can, but if they're, if, if they're struggling and there are uh, minor, there are, or uh, sometimes major tech tweaks that can be, can be made at school um, that can significantly help them, then yeah, the IEP is a great, a great route to go. A lot of parents in the private school, private sector will go and get uh, ed, ed, psych, ed psych eval testing uh, with a neuropsychologist. And that's kind of the equivalent as well um, in the private school sector. 
You know what the, the sad thing about it all is, is at the moment they graduate, all of that's over and yeah. they try to go to college. And the only accommodation that they really get is maybe three extra days mm-hmm. to write an essay or whatnot. It just completely ends. I agree. I think that's a rough transition. I work with mm-hmm. a lot of college freshmen and high school seniors and college freshmen because my main focus is trying to get them prepared for that transition because it's really difficult oh. because I have a student right now. I was just talking with the parent, <clears throat> excuse me, before joining with you guys. And uh, he was a straight A student in high school and he's struggling, struggling in college now because um, he, he has resources there, but it's not the same as when he was in high school where teachers were a lot more involved in uh, the individual mm-hmm. students' needs and were able to, you know, provide those kind of supports. Now, you know, uh, now that everything's kind of, you know, up to him to figure out he's ha- he's struggling a little bit. He's going to figure it out. He's getting there, but he's he has to get you. He has to figure out how does college, how is college different than than high school? And what mm-hmm. what different set of skills do I need? to be successful there. I know that from experiences because when I went away to college, it's like the first thing I did was I made sure that the schools I applied to had a disability program. Uh, And then when I got to the school I accepted, I realized the teachers aren't as acceptive as high school teachers were. There were some that will help you. And then there were some that are very reluctant. I mean, I have one um lecturer who told me if i help you i have to help everyone else and i'm not about that i'm like yeah but my disability program says you have to help me right and i and i was on top of him almost every day i'm like you got to help me understand this material yeah well reed that's great that you you were able to advocate for yourself and uh and speak up because a lot of students struggle with that and um and and as a result you know, they like uh, one of the things I tell I teach my students is exactly that. How, what how do you go to your teacher? How do you approach your, your your professor, your teacher? And how do you advocate for the need for your individual and, and very specific needs? Um, they're there for that reason. They need they need to, you know, support you in these ways. It's written into your accommodations and you got to you got to learn to speak up for them. So I get. I, I, I tell them the types of things that they can say to parent to their teachers and their professors that are non-threatening and um, not challenging their teachers, but, um, you know, engaging in this kind of a dialogue in order to get mm-hmm. the help that they need. Also, students do not know, a, a lot of students do not know that there are tons of resources available at these schools that they can utilize. But the problem is that they have to go and and access them. No one's going to tell them, Hey, this is, you need to go to tutoring. You need to go to the science resource center or the math resource center, which a lot of schools have and get this extra help. So they, so they don't realize that those things are in place and they don't necessarily know the best way to go about utilizing them. Yeah. I mean, I know that for a fact. I mean, I knew we had a library. I knew we had all these resources, but I think it was like the stubbornness in me. Like, I'm not going to use those utilities. I'm comfortable studying in my own room where mm-hmm. I'm comfortable. And and but what was nice is my disability advisor says, I'm going to set some stuff up for you. 
I'm going to set you up with six weeks of counseling. He set me up with a well-being advisor to make sure I'm eating right and make sure I'm on top of things. And that kind of helped me get through the way. But I was still stubborn to use all the other resources until I realized I needed to use them in order to help myself out. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with, I agree with everything you're saying. It's, um, uh, we even, yeah. Like, and I think that's another aspect of ADHD that, um, is overlooked. Like we, we, sometimes it's overlooked. We know we need to do something. We know, even know how to do it, but the actual act of performing it and doing it is the Mm -hmm. hardest part, right? Like it's ADHD is often a performance issue. It's, we can, we, we know what we need to do. We even know the due dates. We might know everything about the assignment, but actually getting started on it or, um, reaching out for help. Um, because, because they, a a lot of times the students have a high, a higher or, uh, you know, above average intellect, like it's the content of the course is not really the issue, but a lot of times, but it can be like, Oh, how do I, the, the, the type of task they might be asked to do might not be something that they're, that they're really good at, or they're, they, they, they perform well in. So they often do need extra support. Um, especially when it revolves around projects and a longer term assignments that they know the due date for well in advance and, uh, and, and have to have to do a little bit each night over time, which is also m- much more difficult for someone with ADHD. Now, how do you prep some of your ADHD um, clients for that transition to college? Because I know it's a daunting task. Yeah, I, I, I provide a summer program, like four weeks in the summer where for, for parents and students, are tra- transitioning from high school to college and I give them the tools that they're going to, I kind of prep them for all this by explaining the differences, showing them the tools on what they need, how things are going to be different. Um, you know, giving them some writing, uh, showing them how writing is going to be different in college. I help them mm-hmm. um, look at, uh, look and understand their syllabi. Um, take, take advantage of, uh, of any resources that the school offers and getting them signed up and ready to go right from the get-go, taking, taking uh, advantage of resources like Rate My Professor and finding teachers that kind of link to their specific learning style, um, as well as if, uh, you know, getting, getting a list of all the assignments that are going to be um, assigned throughout the semester and getting all the dates and mapping out everything on a calendar that I've created for them that they that they can use and there's lots of transparency there because I can see their calendar as they update it and we can put important dates on there and map out the semester for them so there's a lot of I, I really like seeing my college students before the semester starts because once they're in it and already behind um like i was when i was in college like i didn't i had to figure it out the hard way unfortunately um you gotta you know you gotta do all this prep stuff which takes more Mm. time and 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 to a lot of times it seems pointless to someone with it they're like no i got my own ways i can figure this out i don't need to do this 
But then when they're there and they're in it, you know, they realize, wow, that was really helpful. I'm so glad I, I had this all mapped out. I would have waited till the last minute and either crammed and got all these things in at the last minute and done and done like a much poorer job, or I've used these tools. And now because I've used them, I'm, I'm more, I've, I've, I have a much more likelihood of success. Now that kind of reminds me, do you help them with how to study for exams? Because I know from my own experience, I never knew how to study for exams. My bachelor's was online and we didn't have finals. It was all point-based. And then when I went away to college, it's like, oh, I got exams to study for? Yeah. How am I supposed to study? I don't know how to, the proper study methods. Yeah. No, I, I didn't I didn't know how to study either until I was a junior in college when I when I started to figure it out. And at that point, I was like, I went through so much pain and suffering from like, you know, not knowing the knowing the right right things to do when I when I had a test coming up. And I, one time I, I, I was in the library and I saw a bunch of kids using flashcards and like highlighting things and uh writing out rewriting their notes and all these uh these study techniques and i'm like wait i uh, how come i don't how come i don't do that how come i don't know how to do that how come no one ever taught taught me how to do that because they don't teach they, uh, oftentimes they don't teach these things in school and no. it's it comes it's it's expected that it should come intuitively and it just doesn't for for certain students right and um and although i can't I can't, I can't give them the study skills. I can tell them and, and show them how they, how they work and, and how to, how to practice them. So that's what we'll do in our sessions. I'll give them, okay, I'll try to find out, okay, what type, what type of studying do you like to do? What do you, how do you, how, how do you learn best? And let's come up with a system of studying that works for you. And that, that often differs with the, the, the subject even matter that they're covering. So, cause it's different to study for science than it is to study for English. Mm -hmm. And it's different to study for math than it is to study for social studies or history. Right. So, yeah. um, they have to have, I always tell my parents and my students, you need a toolbox of, of tools and strategies and techniques, because if you just have one method, it's not going to work for you every time. Plus my students with ADHD often get they'll use something for a few weeks and they'll get tired or bored with it. And that, and they need a new, they need something new. So they need variety mm -hmm. and they need consistency and they need uh, that accountability, which helps, to, yeah. helps them to implement it. Yeah. I know because with me, I had to reach out to my friends and go, can someone give me some tips on how to study? And, Same. <laughs> yeah, and one of them came back with, try to study for 10 minutes on and then five minutes off. And that worked for me because yeah. my mind was able to absorb all that material. And I was able to remember it. And I had a well-being advisor who had told me, because I went to her one day and I go, I wish I can just memorize the material. And she's like, you know, there's a difference between knowing your material and understanding it. Yep. Those who understand it know the material. Those who just know it can't under, don't understand what you're talking about. They just spew information, but they don't know what you're talking about. Absolutely right. 
And actually, the two things come to mind after hearing what you just said, Reed. And the first one is um, similar to what you're doing. Like a lot of people use like the Pomodoro technique or time boxing. That's mm -hmm. like studying for intense periods of time on one thing, cutting out all distractions, which is really, really difficult, especially with our phones and the internet and all these other distractions mm -hmm. around us. But the idea is cut out all distractions, choose one task that you're going to do and make it an, a, an accomplishable task. That's probably a bigger task broken into a smaller piece. Give your, set yourself a timer for about however many, however long you think you, it might take you to do that task, maybe 20 mm -hmm. minutes, 15, 10 minutes, for maybe in your case, and just focus on that one thing for that period of time, or just study that one thing for that period of time, and then give yourself a break because it's, it, it's difficult to maintain that. And then the second thing that you said was like, there's a difference between knowing something and, uh, you know, Under just kind of remembering that you yeah yeah remembering that you've learned it before right i always mm -hmm. talk about um recognition versus recall recognition is oh yeah i've seen that before i remember the teacher talking about that oh okay i know that but do that that's not, actually that's not necessarily true like we can recognize something and not and not have 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 like a full understanding and we might even trick ourselves into thinking that we that we we understand we understand it because we've seen it before. But we have to practice when you're studying for a test. You have to practice active recall, which is pulling the information out of your brain, studying it so that you understand it, pulling it out of your brain, and giving yourself opportunities where you can do that over and over again before the test. So when mm -hmm. the test comes, you're not doing it for the first time. Yeah, that is such an interesting thing. I mean, studying for me was such a a weird concept because, I mean, I've never studied for a, an exam in my life, and it was just weird. I remember my well-being advisor says, "Okay, I'm going to set you out with a study planner. You're gonna you're gonna write it out. You're gonna get up in the morning. You're gonna eat. You're gonna study. You're gonna rest. Eat." study and what i forget to put down is time to relax yeah and i remember coming outside one day taking a break and talking with a friend and he just looks at me and goes dude you look like shit <laughs> right to my face i'm like because all i've been doing is studying and eating and sleeping he's like well you need a break you need to take mm -hmm. that break and my friend said the same thing you need to take a break from that studying otherwise you're just gonna burn out absolutely you know I say the exact same thing to my clients, especially the ones that I get to go back to school. Um, you know, you have to, for as much energy as you put out, you have to rest just as much because you can't pour from an empty cup. The cup must runneth over. Absolutely. You know? And and a lot, what a lot of students end up doing is they're like, okay, I need to study for four hours tonight. And then they're not really utilizing that time study like it's half studying half relaxing playing a video game coming back to the studying and it's not it's, it's not it's, structured it's, it's not structured and it's not productive because they're not actually you're not going to remember things as much and actually we I, as, as i'm sure you're both well well aware that that rest period actually mm -hmm. helps to solidify that information into your yeah. brain right yeah. Um, and and the, the, the other interesting thing is that a lot of these students, because they're 
typically of high intelligence, like you said, Reed, never had to study before. Yeah. So in high school, they got by because, or even in maybe middle school, they got by. High school got a little harder, but they, they didn't have to study too much or like they studied a little bit here and there. And then college comes around and they have, they have, they don't have the skills. They don't, they've never I, had to do it. Before. I will tell you, I started college at 16 and I went through all of school, pulling A's, never studying. And once I started college, I was in a whole different arena. I was like, wow, I actually have to start studying. I actually have to start writing essays and not just like skating by and yeah. And, and skating by with A's, but skating by with A's in college is a different story. Mm -hmm. But I did inevitably, just like you figured it out, I figured out how to go by routine and structure. And all of that is what made me successful. Yeah. Having that, that self-awareness and that accountability that I don't need to look up to a mom or a dad for it. It's in myself, just like I can see it in you guys. Yeah, that's right. I remember when I was in school, it was like, what do I do? Where, where do I go? Who do I turn to to help? And it's like, I got to look to myself. I got to give myself a structure of you need to read your material. You need to talk to your advisors and you need to get seek help. Well, I was lucky enough that I had a disability advisor who started with me a month before I flew out to school. We would talk once a week. He would call me and we'd meet up. And we would talk and he's like, okay, what can we go over to help you prepare for when you're here? And a lot of students don't have that. The minute they get into school, even those who have ADHD, it's like a whole new world to them. For me, it was awful because I wasn't even diagnosed yet. So I had no idea. Yeah, Same. that was the problem. Same. <laughs> Same. And I think I, th I think exactly what you said, Reed, and that's that's similar to what what I do as a coach. And I really I really actually like I, I'm, I have a sports background as well. So um, like I've coached soccer and like I've played lots of sports. So like I have a lot of male students a lot of times they're into sports and so i can always do the sports analogies with them um but uh that's why i like the term of coach so much because like i, I i'm there to uh to to give them to to shine light on the areas where they're weak and where they need to improve and to mm -hmm. like practice okay we can practice in our sessions but when the game time is on the ball's in your court you got to perform. You got to, at the end of the day, they have to come up. You're like, they have to take ownership of it. They have to, uh, identify, like find, find, uh, creative ways to kind of address these situations. Um, and, and, and it's really important to have the coach because the coach points out these areas and, and shines light on them. So I always tell students, I'm not a teacher, even though I was a teacher for so many years in this role, I'm not a teacher. I'm not their parent, so I'm not going to be like mm -hmm. on their case like a parent is. I will be on their case in a different way by holding them accountable. And I'm not a tutor either, so I'm not here to like do subject. Sometimes we do some writing, sometimes we do some some note taking stuff, some study skill stuff. But I'm not a tutor in the sense that like I'm not teaching them content. These are the peripheral skills that they need 
for success in school and in life. That's why I think the term coach is so much more important nowadays than it was back then, because when the person hears therapist or psychologist, they get scared. They think kids to kids back then, when they hear those terms, they think, oh, that, that means I'm crazy. But yeah. the term coach, I think is more relatable. Like you were saying, they can relate to that term. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, 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 I make sure that, you know, early on in our sessions that we, um, you know, <clears throat> a big part of, of that is building the trust because we're dealing with really intense stuff sometimes. And we're dealing with, you know, maybe not like a therapist would, but it's hard to, it's hard to point that shine that light on yourself and say, okay, this is what I struggle with. This is what my disability uh, you know, holds me back from being able to do. And in order to get them to, to that point, I have to build that trust. And I'm sure mm-hmm. as well with you, Ashley, you know, that's how, that's how you're going to get your students on um, willing to work on these things because you have that comfort zone, that circle of your comfort zone, and you can't push them too far out or else they're, you're going to lose, you're going to ruin that relationship. So it's, it's all about, it's, it's, it's like a dance. You have to, you have to slowly take it step by, you have to do it step by step and you have to, you know, you know when you can push, when you have to bring it back in. And then over time with that's when we see, that's when we see the progress. Yeah, definitely. It's now, a, go on, Ashley. No, it's definitely about knowing when to push and when you can't. There's a fine line there because they have the potential to give up if you push too early or too much. Yeah. For sure. Now, Chris, have you seen your own clients advocating for themselves or is it more like 50-50 parents advocating and, the, and, the, and them advocating or is it more the parents and then the, less the students? Yeah, I think it runs the gamut. <laughs> um, I think sometimes you, it depends on the personality of the student. Like some some are a lot more outgoing and they know that, th- that that's easy for them. Some are a lot more reserved and have difficulty doing that. I would say more so it's difficult for them than it is the case that you have kids that, I mean, the exception is more that like kids are out there advocating for themselves. But, and I think it also develops at with age right it's something mm-hmm. that like you get more comfortable as you get older like college students they're realizing that freshmen they have a hard time they're still having a hard time they're still not going to see their professors during their office hours they're still not reaching out for resources but they're starting to figure it out they're starting to realize okay this is something i i need to do because no one's going to be doing it for me and um and although they might have an advisor like you had, Reed, that was that really helped mm-hmm. you out, um, it might not be the case that their school offers as you know as good of resources as yours did. Yeah, how can we? I mean, Chris. I mean, that kind of brings up the question: Is how can we make classrooms more inclusive for those who are like you, me, and Ashley, who have a disability? Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, I think oftentimes teachers are are overwhelmed. They have so many students in their class. They have to deal with so many different types of learners. And 
they they think that I, I think they sometimes not I mean things have gotten a lot better recent in recent years as well but I think sometimes teachers think that um you know they have to change so much about their lesson or they have to do some things dramatically different um which in a lot of cases it's not the case in a lot of cases there's small tweaks that they can that they can use um that that go a long way to helping helping their students so I think more awareness and more training for teachers will be will be huge um, mm-hmm. about executive function and why students with it. Like I was a teacher for the first half of my my career as a teacher. I didn't really understand what ADHD was. I had these small groups of kids, like five or six students sometimes in a resource room or in a uh, study skills class. And I would just jump from student to student, putting out fires, helping them with their homework. And then I would <laughs> I realized there's got to be a better way. Um, and then I started learning about ADHD and how the brain works. And like, I still didn't really fully understand ADHD at that point, but I was like, there has to be some sort of common ground that I can do and like teach these kids skills instead of helping them with their homework. Cause that's basically tutoring. Right. So yeah. I had to figure out a way that, you know, I can help these kids perform better and what's the commonality between them and it it was executive functioning and once i and once i stumbled upon that there was no holding me back i just went <laughs> full forward with it and i went to all the trainings all the all the uh brain trainings how the brain works how student how how the how the adhd brain develops and and works differently and um and i think to answer your question um, there's, you know, the inclusivity, I, I feel like it's come a long way and it's still headed in the right direction. Um, but like the, the, the little things that teachers can do to, is just make yourself more aware of how executive function and delays in executive function hold their students back. And they're not, it's not, it's not, they're not intentionally exhibiting these behaviors or they're not lacking in intelligence they're just struggling to do these things that most kids are expected to do. Now, when you're dealing with one of your clients, how do you help those who have like poor time management or, or organizational skills? Yeah. um, I would say for the most part, most of my students do have those issues. (laughs) So um, what, where I start is getting them on a planner. Like most kids hate planning I've noticed, or most of my students do at least most of the students I work with. And, um, and not that they hate it. They just don't, they don't have experience with it and they never had to do it before. And people think like, Oh, all the assignments are already there for me on Google classroom. So why do I have to put it into a planner? But my planner is a different kind of planner. It's not just homework. It's, scheduled events, it's Mm -hmm. doctor's appointments, it's therapist appointments, it's my meeting with me. When, when are you going to have, and it's not math homework, it's outlining exactly what the homework is step-by-step and breaking it down into smaller pieces. Okay. What exactly do you have to do for that assignment? So from the planner, then we can break off into, if they've mastered that, then we can break off into organization time and this is also time management because when are you going to have time to work on this assignment when are you going to have time to complete it how long is it going to take you 
Our students aren't that great at estimating how long a an assignment might take them. So no one's, like I said, no one's taught them these skills. Um, and then and then we get into specific organization. A big point for me is like, how's your room? Is your room a mess? <laughs> is your room in good shape? How's your locker? Is your room, is your locker a disaster? Or is it, or is it nice and organized? And you can tell that that's a big, a big um, uh, area for me to dive into because they're, what we're trying to do at the end of the day is habit building mm -hmm. and, um, and, and uh, consistency with, with a task. So sometimes I work on kids with just making their bed. Sometimes I work on kids like binders. Okay. Clean out your binder. Do you have a home for things? Where are you storing these things? Do you have home folders? Do you have school folders and home folders? Most of my students have all their folders from September stuffed into a binder and their binders like this fat and they have to, they have to, if they need something, dig through a crumpled up mess, which I'm not saying I was much different when I was their age, but I wish somebody came in and intervened and showed me how to, showed me a better way. So there's multiple ways you can address those things. I, I, I build everything off of the planner and then we go from there. I think what I you're doing is fantastic. Thank you. I think a lot of those who have ADHD don't like schedules because they don't like structure. Yeah. So they tend to like fray away from it. But the way you're doing it is you're making it comfortable for them saying, hey, this isn't a schedule for homework, but this is a schedule just so you have your settings, you know what you got going. This is for your daily life. For sure. And I think I, I would also say that uh, for some students, I, like I said, I, I offer I offer the tools, but if they don't feel like that's the right system for them or they don't want to use, use that particular system, I provide alternatives as well, like less structured, but still, I mean, there needs to be some structure here, right? We can't just do that's why they're that's why they're probably struggling in the first place so if they really are rejecting the planner we can work on other kinds of like blocks of time sometimes i do like four hour blocks okay what are you doing in the morning what are you doing in the mid app the early afternoon mid-afternoon evening and then you put they'll they'll put their tasks in in those categories so it gives them a wider range of time they feel less less like they have to do something at exactly that right that specific time and they'll get tasks done in those blocks of time instead of, uh, you know, at exactly mm -hmm. 6 p.m. Or I'm going to be doing this from 6 to. And the, the thing you're, you're right, Reed, because a lot of times uh, they do they do reject it sometimes because a lot of times it's difficult. Like if you fall off your schedule. Then it's, you know, sometimes they feel like all is lost and that's mm -hmm. it. I can't do it. Like, you know, I've, I'm off my schedule. I can't, I'm not going to be able to get anything done. So sometimes I don't really lock students into specific times. I just, I just have to have them define what they're going to be doing. Yeah. I know that from experience because I, I mean, between everything I do in my daily life, my, I have a life coach and he's always holding me accountable to my day. And he's like, if you don't put something down in your schedule on your calendar, you're going to forget about it. 
when you think even if you have it on your calendar you forget about it it's still there you need to go you should go back to it and try to get and finish it yeah for sure part of our sessions are uh, brain dumping like all the things that that are coming up for the week all the all the tests quizzes projects essays assign major assignments um you know sporting events after school activities it, it, we we like to think we can store it in our brains and some people can for a little while mm-hmm. some people are better at it than others right i think it might be like a working working memory kind of thing yeah but um but most most people can't and i know i can't and I have to, I have to write everything down. And if you get into this, if you can learn this habit when you're younger, think about all the, uh, you know, the, the, the pain, the, the, the painful experiences you can be avoiding by having these kind of systems. Yeah. I, I know, I know they reject, like a lot of my students reject it at first, but my job is to kind of bring them in, teach them how to use it and mm-hmm. then develop independence and see the value in it when they see the value in it then they although they can be stubborn at times they'll they can slowly change and come over and start to see like oh wow i need that i'm gonna use that on my own i'm gonna i'm not gonna just wait till i meet with chris to fill that planner out i'm gonna i'm gonna take take control of this myself and start doing it now, do you have clients that come to you like after they've graduated college and they thank you so much for everything you've helped me with? If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have got through college. I, I do have that occasionally. Yeah, it's a great feeling when that happens. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm experiencing like getting some kids through college. Like I'm still working with some of those students and graduating them. I just finished working with a student who, uh, who finished his final paper and just, you know, just finished his last, last, uh, last major assignment. It was, it was a struggle for him, but he got it done and, and very rewarding experience and learned a lot in the process. And, um, and it is rewarding. It is rewarding when you get that positive feedback from students for sure. Yeah. I mean, I know the feeling of handing in your last paper and thanking all your teachers and everyone who's helped you because it is a struggle. I mean, when you're sitting there going through college with a disability and you have no help, it just feels like you get the weight of the world on you. For sure. Yeah. Um, uh, You know, having gone through it myself, I know I remember just, those last two weeks of a semester just being hell. And then when it was over, somehow, I don't know how, how, how I got through it when I did, but just feeling just such, such relief and wanted to, and, you know, and just like such a, a, like you said, a weight off your shoulders. And, and, but I put myself through so much pain in that last Mm -hmm. two weeks that was completely avoidable if I had, the right skills and if i if i planned accordingly and i and i chunked it piece by piece now some people with adhd might who might reject what i'm saying today because they're just they're going to say no i can only do things at the last minute i can only like that's how i work and i think that i think that's okay to say like yeah i i i, I usually get things done at the last minute but I also think there's room to try to improve that and not and not be that person because um, because 
although it's hard work and it, it takes a lot of effort to get there, like in the long run, you're not going to want to, you're not, you're not going to want to do that every time you have a deadline and in your job later on in your job, like when your boss is asking you for something or, and your, your job is on the line, you can't be doing that. So you have to find a way, we have to find ways and we have to be creative. We have to be easy on ourselves, but we have to be a little bit, you know, we have to, we have to, we have to push ourselves at times too, because mm-hmm. you know that grow the, in the in the long run. We ten years from now, we want to be in a better place than we are in the current moment, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, do you help those who are like with having trouble with jobs, like keeping a job, or like how to schedule their day when they have a job? I have done a little bit of that for sure. I I actually have helped quite a few of my students get jobs. So like Mm. I help them with the process of acquiring the job. Um, A lot of my students are in school, so school is their job, but I have worked with some, uh, some adults who are managing, you know, deadlines with their work as well. Yeah. It's similar types of strategies that, that I would use with them, writing things down, planning Mm -hmm. them, uh, uh, having accountability, um, uh, you know, managing your time, all these things we discussed. Yeah. Now with your clients with in school, what do you see is the biggest issue they face? I would say the, one of the biggest issues they face is, um, maybe, maybe like resistance, to, to, to getting help. I think what we, we kind of talked about this a little bit before is like, um, you know, I think, I think the biggest issue that they face is that if as hard as it is to work on these things that later in life, it's going to be even harder to change these things. So I, I'm a big believer in, you know, starting now is the best time to start now is the best time to kind of work on these skills because even incremental growth changes can change a lot. Small changes doesn't have to be a dramatic change in order to make, make a significant difference in someone's life. You know, even if it's like getting my, like getting my laundry done, it makes a difference whether my laundry is after I take it out of the dryer is in a big clump on, on, on the floor of my room or on my bed (laughs) Or whether it's folded and put away, like I, I would say, the biggest, one of the biggest issues they face is, is no noticing the smaller changes and how much improvement that they can make in their lives. Yes, because I think what they don't realize is the minute they step outside of that school, that whole school setting, it's like you have to keep avid advocating for yourself outside otherwise you're gonna fall back into that resistance of i need to get stuff done to get my life together to find work to have a job to have a family to have everything else yeah that's that's so true and i think the the other side of it is um you know the thought that I can't change. This is who I am. I have ADHD. This is this is like life is going to be hard for me. And it might be. It might be a lot of times, no matter what. But it doesn't have to be. 
And there's so many success stories of people who have come, who have developed tools and habits. Um, is it, is it going to be easy for you? No, it, I'm not saying you can make life a breeze at all times, but who, I don't think anyone experiences that, but the little things add up and they matter. And if you can improve incrementally, even in three or four different areas or one area that might have a profound impact. That's so true. I mean, people don't realize that school is truly setting you up for the real world. That's what exactly. college is all about is prepping you. So the minute you graduate, you'll have these skills to move on with your life. Right. And finally, how can people find out more about you, Chris? Oh yeah. Um, so I'm currently, I'm currently, um, fixing up my website, but they can visit me at exceptionalpath.com, mm -hmm. which my website will be up in about another week or so, hopefully. Um, and they can also email me at, uh, the exceptional path at gmail.com. So exceptionalpath.com and the exceptional path at gmail.com. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. That was Chris Fogelson, Ashley Simpkins, and I'm Reed Miles, and I'll catch you in the next one. Bye. Thank you so much. believe in the truth but only see what i'm shown got the freedom to choose but can't decide on my own follow what the group is thinking bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that i don't fit in i want to believe in the truth but only see what i'm shown got the freedom to choose but can't decide on my own follow what the group is thinking bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that i don't fit in shape shifting same player different position the definition could stick with them drifting through these layers of wisdom i took a break from tradition i move away from what's expected change the music rather the way but keep the message question this dimension is still deception of reentrance have good intentions no exceptions and leave the rest up to the heavens your only plan to be the secret and become yourself because more than half would you leave and was granted to be misleading for the benefit of someone else i want to believe in the truth but only see what i'm shown got the freedom to choose but can't decide on my own follow what the group is thinking bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that i don't fit in i want to believe in the truth but only see what i'm shown got the freedom to choose but can't decide on my own follow what the group is thinking bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that i don't fit in hey hey yeah i don't fit in Applause. I don't walk right in the traps. While you closing in the walls, I'll be using out the cracks. Sit and relax, don't breathe. These are the facts. Suppose at least stutters. Living a mask, suckers. <laughs> keep moving along to the beat. Brainwash, rinse and repeat. Keep pulling about with the sheep. I'll go, follow with Eve. Know what I mean? Probably not. Honesty shots, spotless. The only box I'll ever fit in is the one that I die. I wanna believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking. Bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. I wanna believe in the truth, but only see what I'm shown. Got the freedom to choose, but can't decide on my own. Follow what the group is thinking. Bottle up my intuition till it's popping out the box that I don't fit in. Hey, hey, yeah, I don't fit in. Hey.